was once an old man who used to like to play golf, but he stopped. He stopped because his vision became so poor. And he would hit the ball, and he couldn't for the life of him see where the ball went. I have that problem, uh, but it has nothing to do with my vision being poor. I just hit the ball, and it's <laughs> off into the trees somewhere. The old man, he used to love to play golf, and he'd hit the ball, and he couldn't see where the ball went, so he finally quit. And his wife came to him one day and was like, you know, honey, why don't you play golf anymore? He's like, I can't see anymore. I can't see where the ball goes. I hit it, it goes off somewhere, but I can't see it once it leaves the tee. And his wife says to him, well, why don't you take my Uncle Ted with you? He sees perfectly. And the husband said, you know, I would take your Uncle Ted, but he's even older than I am. And let's be honest, you know, he's kind of losing his his mind. He doesn't think as well as he used to. And she insisted, so finally the next day he went with Ted to the course, and they got up to the first tee, and he got in front of the ball, and he swung, and he hit the ball, and, and Ted said, wow, look at that shot. That is an unbelievable, beautiful shot. And the old man was pleased with himself, and he went and he grabbed his golf bag, and he said, all right, Ted, where did it go? And Ted goes, I forget. <laughs> when it comes to vision... When it comes to vision, you, it's important to know where you're headed, right? And it's important to be able to see clearly enough to get there. You need both of those things. You're talking about vision. What is the vision for my life as an individual? What is the vision that God has for us as a community? You have to know a couple of things. You've got to know where you're headed. You have to know what direction you're supposed to be going in. And you have to see clearly enough to be able to move in the right direction. Both of those things are important. This morning, we're taking a little bit of a break. This is going to look a little different than it normally does on a Sunday morning here at Mount Hope. Take a little bit of a break, as we have done for a number of years in the month of June, and talk a little bit about what God's vision is for this community. The community at Mount Hope isn't just what we see in this room this morning. We have uh, campuses that meet in Burlington and here in Belmont. We also have a school that meets in Burlington of about 300 students. So what is the vision, what is the purpose that God has for all of us as the Mount Hope community as we move forward? And what is the vision that he has specifically to us here in Belmont? And then I want to ask the question this morning, what is the vision that God has for you in your life? Where does God want you to go? And can you see clearly enough to get there? All of those are important because God has a corporate vision for us as his community, as his body. But he has a vision for each and every one of you sitting here in a chair this morning, too. Something that he wants you to do. And not only does he want to tell you exactly where he wants you to go, he wants to give you the grace to be able to see clearly enough to head in that direction. And so we'll spend most of our time this morning talking about Uh, the corporate vision and what that means for us, but the entire time I want us to be thinking as individuals too. How do I as an individual participate in the corporate work? Maybe you've been here for a long time and you're thinking to yourself, well, I pretty much know what, you know, Mount Hope is all about. I've been here for a number of years. I want to ask you that you would, you would ask God this morning to reignite the vision in your heart and ask him what he would want you to do that's new and fresh. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, you know, I just came for this one week and I'm not sure that I'm going to come back. Well, I'm glad you're here too, because this is a week that you can understand who we really are and what we are all about. 
know, when we talk about vision, there's really three things that we need to talk about. There's vision, and then there's underneath vision, there's three pieces that we're going to talk about this morning. And and really, to understand a vision, you need to understand the context of that vision. You need to understand the situation in which that, that vision sits. You need to understand the content of the vision, and you need to understand what we're concentrating on as a result of the vision. We're going to talk about those three things this morning, the context of the vision, the content of the vision, and what we're concentrating on as a body and as a church because of that vision. And as we get started, I wanted to read one passage of scripture with you. It's a story about Jesus. It's found uh, in a couple of places in the Gospels, but we're going to read it out of the Gospel of Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter 14, and it starts in verse 13. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. You can turn there if you'd like, or the words uh, will be up here on the screen as well. This is a story we read about in Matthew 14. Jesus withdrew there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, They followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is why I read this story right at the beginning. Because when God gives you a vision, whether that's for the church, whether that's for us, or whether he gives you a vision as an individual, one of the ways that you can tell it's from God is because you're going to look at it and you're going to say, there is no possible way I could ever do this on my own. That's one of the ways you're going to know that vision is from God. And I see the disciples in this story. Here they have a crowd of 5,000 just men, right? They only counted the men. Listen, I don't think that's right either. I'd do it differently today too, okay? But they only counted the men besides the women and children. There were a lot more than that, probably well over 10,000 people sitting there. And Jesus says to the disciples, the disciples say, listen, we should dismiss for lunch and let all these people go home and find something to eat. And Jesus says, well, why don't you give them something to eat? And the disciples looked at what they had, which was just five small loaves of bread and two fish, and they looked back at Jesus, and they said, listen, there is no possible way we could take what we have and accomplish this vision, this, this assignment that you've given us. And the reason I read this right off the bat is because when we're going to talk about vision for God, and God's going to tell you something in your heart, and you're going to look right back at him, and you're going to say to God, God, there is no no possible way with what I have, with my resources, with the gifts that I have, or with the gifts that I feel like I don't have, that I could ever possibly do what you're asking me to do. And when you're in that situation, you're right where God wants you to be. I think about the context with which our vision sits today. And the context of where our churches sit is so different than it was even 20 years ago, isn't it? 
I think about the culture around us and how it's changed. Let's think about the last 20 years. And where the vision of the church sits after those 20 years is so different than it used to be. I've been reading this book called Good Faith. It's by uh, two, two guys. It's by a guy named Dave Kinneman and a guy named Gabe Lyons. And Dave Kinneman is the head of the Barna Research Group. And maybe you've seen Barna's, uh, they do polls uh, for the country. And maybe you've seen their stuff. They're always on Fox News and CNN. Their results are always used on those sorts of uh, TV stations. And Gabe Lyons uh, started an organization called Q, which stands for questions, and they help Christians ask the difficult questions of the day. And so they wrote this book called Good Faith, and the tagline of the book is what to do in a society that thinks Christianity is irrelevant and extreme. Because that's the context that we live in today. It didn't used to be like that, but it is today. Here's some of the things that they say in their book, some of the research that they have figured out. I'm not going to read all of it, but just a couple of things. Here's what they said. Six out of ten Americans, six out of ten Americans who say they have no faith do not believe the church is a benefit to the community or are not sure if it is. So here's the reality of our vision in the context that we live in. We've moved into this community last September. My guess is, is that living in New England, the statistics here are more dramatic than they are for the country as a whole, right? I probably don't have to argue that too much with you. And so six out of 10 people who are in our area here, who say they have no faith, watched us move into this building that was empty for a couple of years and weren't that excited about it. That's the context we live in. 45% of atheists, agnostics, and religiously unaffiliated agree with this statement. Christianity is extremist. It's the context of our vision. About 42% of all Americans, 42% of all Americans believe that when it comes to what happens in the country today, people of faith are part of the problem. It used to be that it was almost 100% agreement that people of faith were a part of the solutions. But today, people of faith are part of the problem. And then these last two I find especially interesting. 91% of Americans agree that the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. 91% of Americans agree the best way to find yourself is by looking inside of yourself. And 86% of Americans agree that to be fulfilled in life, you should pursue the things that you desire most. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been walking through the book of Romans. And in these first few chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has very clearly laid out what we call the gospel. Here's two points of the gospel. One, fulfillment is found outside of yourself through Jesus Christ. And two, your greatest joy will come about as you do what God wants you to do. And so when we say those sorts of statements, nine out of ten people disagree. We say fulfillment is found outside of yourself in Jesus Christ. Nine out of ten people say, well, no, I disagree with that. Fulfillment is found inside of myself. And when, I, when we say to people, listen, your greatest joy will be found in, in doing what God wants you to do, eight and a half out of ten people say back to us, no, uh, my greatest joy will be found as I do what I want to do. 
the world has changed, and it's a difficult context. The context is different. There was a day in our country where presidents, sitting presidents, said things like this. This is a quote from one of our presidents. Easter, or the resurrection of Jesus, demonstrates that good conquered evil, hope overcame despair, and life triumphed over death. God's only son brought the assurance of God's love and presence in our lives and the promise of salvation. And then listen to this. Jesus is the true light that illumines all mankind. So sitting president stood up in front of the nation and said these words. The, the Easter provides the assurance of God's love and presence in our lives and the promise of salvation. Jesus is the true light that illuminates all humankind. And those words were, of course, said by the sitting president, Bill Clinton, about 18 years ago. I can't imagine our candidates for president or whoever wins the presidency getting up today, a couple decades later, and saying those words, even if they believe that they're true. And now that's not a political statement. I'm not making any sort of who I think should be in office or anything like that statement. All that is to say, context has changed. People don't get up in front of the nation and say things like that anymore. And they used to just a few years ago. So the result is that those of us who believe that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation are both irrelevant and extreme in today's world. That's an extreme view. And many of us who do follow Jesus go out into this world and feel like we're misunderstood. Want to say to the world, we're here to love, not condemn. Want to say to the world, we're we're here to show mercy, not judge. And the world is saying back to us, our context is saying back to us, our culture is saying back to us, we know who you are, and you're not welcome here. So the context has changed, hasn't it? But here's what I hope we see this morning. That we're just like where the disciples were when Jesus told them to feed the 5,000. Jesus gave them an impossible task that only he could accomplish if they would give what they had to him. And I think this morning we're in the same boat. It's not a devastating thing that culture has changed. It's not a terrible thing that our context has changed. What it is, is it's an opportunity for us who believe in these things to give what we have back to Jesus, back to God, that he might do something great through us in spite of the impossibility of the situation. But that's the context that we live in. And I think we should be honest about that. I think that sometimes we, in church world, I'll talk to those of us who are in church world, we like to still say we live in a Christian nation, and we really don't anymore. And I think we should be honest about that. We're never going to be able to do what God wants us to do and love people the way he's calling us to love us if we don't recognize how the world's changed around us. So what's the content of the vision here at Mount Hope? Well, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. It's something that we talked about a little bit back in January. But here's the content of why we're here. I just think it's important to be clear on it. At Mount Hope, we are here And we're here to lead people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. We're here leading people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the reason we chose that statement is because most folks around us, and maybe even us, think this whole thing is about joining a church or joining an organized religion. But for us, it's not about that at all. 
It's about a relationship with the living, breathing, all-loving, all-powerful God who wants a relationship with each and every person that we see around us. I love this sanctuary because even as I'm up here, I can watch out the back windows and I'm watching people get into their cars and I'm seeing people come out of their houses and I'm watching people walk down the street. God wants a relationship with each and every one of those people and God's calling us to be the group that would lead them into that. And so then the question becomes, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And there's three words that we've chosen that talk about how we're going to do it. We're here to lead people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. There's three words that we're using, and those words, you may have seen them newly painted on the wall when you walked in this morning. Those words are learn, love, and live. We gather together to learn about God. We think learning about him is important and who he is. As we gather, we grow in our love for God and for others. And then we walk out the door, we go, and we live the way Christ has called us to live. We live lives that are driven by our faith. We don't just come in here to make ourselves feel better and then go and do whatever we want. We come in here, we learn about God, we grow in our love for him, and then we go and live the life that he's called us to live. And you may say, what does it look like when all of that comes together? What does it look like when all that comes together? Well, I'm not going to tell you what it looks like. I'm going to show you. We're going to watch this video together. share my story with you guys today um so i was struck with addiction at a pretty young age uh alcohol drugs didn't really matter what it was if it was there i wanted it um fairly typical story Uh, i know i'm not the only person that ever went through it for sure so uh you know that went on through my uh teens and early 20s uh obviously never got any better just seemed to get worse. September 19th, 2011, uh, my son was born. Uh, when he was born, he was uh, also addicted. So for the first two weeks of his life, he was in the hospital uh, receiving treatment for addiction to opiates. That was a hard time, a very hard time in my life. At the time, I wasn't... I mean, what did I even know? You know, I was young. I thought, you know, we'll get through it and keep it moving. They let us take him home. You know, two weeks in the hospital. Got him through everything he was going through. Let us take him home. And uh, I was able to clean my act out for a little while. Um, Enough to where I was able to take care of him. To a point, I guess. You know, I thought I was doing, thought I was doing a really good job, but really, I was, I was always on the edge where any moment I could fall off. I was able to keep myself together long enough to get custody of my son. Um, after a fairly long battle, um, you know, through the court system and everything else, so it was, it was a hard time. Uh, through that, I started drinking again. Um, when I was finally given custody of him, it was like, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I had him, I had custody of him. This is what I wanted, but where was I going now? You know, uh, stress. I don't know. 
the realization that now I have to raise this kid came over me, and it was, it was a lot to deal with, and I, uh, you know, fell right back off the edge, uh, started drinking heavy again, started using drugs, um, thought I had, you know, thought I had it in control to a point, but I didn't, it was just, I mean, I was fighting a losing battle at the time. I was able to pull myself together and get clean. Even with that, getting off the drugs and the booze and everything, uh, I still didn't feel whole. I felt like something was certainly missing inside of me. Uh, what it was, I really didn't know, but I knew something was missing. And I just didn't know where to find it, I didn't know what to do. Uh, finally, my sister had started talking about a church she had been going to, which was Mount Hope here in Burlington. And uh, she started talking about it, and I just, I felt like, that's it. I need to be there. You know, things continued to get better as I kept coming to church. I was hearing things that, you know, I was hearing the words that I needed to hear. You know, I had been, I had been carrying this shame and guilt on my shoulders for so long that I just, I couldn't break. It was weighing me down, you know? I just... No matter what I did, I just, I had this shame. I was, I was, ne it was never good enough. It was never enough. You know, no matter what I did, it just wasn't enough. And, uh, you know, coming to, coming to the church and hearing the word of God and Jesus Christ dying for our sins, and they say it in all the songs, and, and like every time I hear it, you know, it just means so much to me. But, you know, they say, you know, I, I'm carrying this burden on my shoulders and it was like, it was killing me. It was just weighing me down. And finally I just, I gave in. And I, I just gave in. I gave it all to God. And it was like, Jesus Christ himself just took this weight off my shoulders. And he carries it like it is his own. You know? He just took it from me. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I just, the, the freedom and the relief I have felt since coming to God and coming to this church is like nothing I have ever felt before. Um, from that point on, <laughs> it's been like, it's all good, <laughs> you know? I mean, me and Vanessa, the first couple to be married at Belmont Church, we've been blessed with another child. We have a beautiful baby girl, you know, that we're raising. We have Cameron, who is perfectly healthy. It's all due to God. It is all his work. You know, everything I was feeling, everything that was holding me down, it's, it's gone. It's not here anymore. I'm able to sit in this room today and say for the first time in my life that I am truly free. It's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling. Thank you, Ron, for sharing your story. You did a great job. 
There's actually a longer version of that video um, that you can, it will link to it, it's linked to on the website, and uh, it'll be linked to through the app later this afternoon. I'd encourage you to watch it. But here's what we know, okay? We know, those of us who follow Christ, we know that nine out of ten people, eight and a half out of ten people, are looking for renewal and fulfillment and restoration where it doesn't exist. They're thinking to themselves, maybe if, I tr- if, maybe if I try the addiction again, or they don't know what else to do, or maybe if I get the next promotion, the last promotion didn't fulfill whatever it is in my soul that needs to be fulfilled, maybe the next one will. Or if I just finally get into the right kind of relationship, the last relationship didn't fulfill me, but maybe the next one will. Or maybe if I try it differently, or maybe if I move to the different city, or maybe if I try the different place, maybe if I try all of these different things, finally I will fulfill what I'm looking for in my soul. If I just do what I want and look inside myself hard enough, I will figure it out. And those of us who follow Jesus Christ know that it cannot be found there. And someone's out there and they're saying to themselves, I'm going to try religion. I'm going to try to be moral. And those of us who find know Jesus Christ know it cannot be found there. The only way renewal comes, the only way restoration comes is through a living, breathing relationship with God through Jesus Christ and experiencing his grace and the empowerment of God's spirit. It's the only place that it can be found. And we have that message that we want to go and tell the world. Not about signing up to join a church. Not about signing up to join some sort of religion. God's not going to ask us at the doors of heaven to present some sort of card saying we belong to a certain denomination. He's going to ask us if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And our vision and our goal is to learn about God, fall in love with him and others, and go and live that life so that others might know him. And so... For this coming year, how are we going to concentrate on that vision? What are we going to do? There's a couple things that we're going to do, and I just, I classified them as things inside the building and things outside of the building, and I'll talk about them quickly. We're kind of like, as a church, we're kind of like commuter rail drivers, And what I mean by that, if you've ever ridden the commuter rail, a couple Friday nights ago, my wife and I thought our kids would have a blast. We have two young kids, four and almost two, and we said to ourselves, they would love to ride the train. They've never ridden the train before. So we got to Woburn, we went to Anderson uh, commuter rail stop, and we hopped on the train there. We were taking it into Boston, going to go to the Children's Museum. And they were, they were excited, you know, but then by like Winchester, they really wanted to get off the train, so it didn't work, <laughs> didn't work as well as we, as we thought it might. And then we still had to take like the orange line and the green line, and they were, it was, uh, just drive next time. But we as the, we're kind of like commuter rail drivers, because here's how the commuter rail is different than, than the normal T. On the commuter rail, the commuter rail picks up folks along the way. And then after it's picked up people at different stops, it just goes for like 20 minutes, And everybody gets off at the same destination. Everybody gets off at the same place with the commuter rail. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring everybody to the place where they have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. We're trying to take them to that place, and everybody gets off at the same place, where we are living and growing in Jesus Christ. But some people are a lot closer to that destination than others. 
And we have to be doing ministry in a way that we are picking people up along the way, wherever they are. Some people are real close. Some people are sitting in Waverly Square in Belmont, and they're like, pick me up. I'm like three minutes away from downtown Boston. But some people, they're like in some place like way out in Rhode Island, right? And the train has to go there too and pick those people up too and bring them in. And the same thing with the church. We have to figure out ways to interact with people both who are close to God and who are far from God and do it in a way that makes them want to go towards the destination that we're inviting them to. So inside the building, here's a couple things that we want to do. We want to continue the work that was started here in this place. Does anyone know, it's a short trivia question, does anyone know what the uh, attendance was one year ago this Sunday in June in this room? Anyone know what the attendance was? Zero, that's right. The attendance was zero. And if you had shown up, this stage wasn't built and there were no chairs for you to sit in. And so over the last year, God has done an amazing work in, in, in this building. And we, inside the building, we want to continue it. Here's what we know. You have to create space before people show up. You can't create it after they show up. We didn't wait for 80 to 100 people each week to start showing up to renovate the sanctuary. We renovated the sanctuary when there were exactly zero people coming to church in this place. And so there's a couple other spaces that we'd like to work on this year. And one of them is the balcony. God bless the people that are up in the balcony this morning. It's dusty and cobwebby, and I'm sorry I called you out. You went up there to hide, and now everyone's looking at you. But there's a good 25 or 30 more seats up there, and we've got to create the space before the people come, not after they come. People like their buffer chairs, a lot of buffer chairs. No one wants to sit shoulder to shoulder if they don't know each other. I understand. And so you've got to create enough space that people come and they feel comfortable. And so inside the building, we're going to work on creating space. Also inside the building, we're going to work on creating space within community. And what I mean by that is this fall, I'm not going to talk about it now, this fall we're going to ask folks to be willing to, in this area, start some groups and homes. And we're looking for people who would help create space in the community that way too. That we can live life together and get to know each other better and pull people in, not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week. So that's inside the building. But what about outside the building? A couple of weeks ago, uh, we went to Belmont Town Day. And I was, I was not prepared for how big Belmont Town Day is. There were thousands of people there. In fact, I heard one person say they thought 10,000 people came through Belmont Town Day. It was massive. And it went for blocks and blocks and blocks. And we came with 200 water bottles and 400 toys for kids, and it was all gone by 11 a.m. We met hundreds of people that day and town day. And I came away from that event saying, we have to do things that help us interact with our neighbors in ways that are non-threatening and just lets them know that we love our community and we're here to serve people. And so there's a couple of ideas that we have, and I'm going to throw one of them out there. Every Wednesday during rush hour from 4 to 6 p.m., starting in the first week of July, I'm going to be over across the street in the municipal lot where the 73 bus lets off and the McLean shuttle for all the McLean's workers lets off and the commuter rail lets off, and I'm going to be there with a table just with things like water bottles and granola bars and gum and nothing else, no, no Bibles, no tracks, just to tell people we're from that church across the street and we love our community. And I would love for a few people to join me. I'll be there if it's by myself. I'm probably going to make my daughter come with me. But I'll be there even if it's just her and me. She's a lot cuter than I am. She's, no one yells at her. 
But I'd love for a few people to come with me because we have to find ways to meet people who would never think of walking through the doors on a Sunday morning and start building a relationship with them. There's a lot of other ideas, and we don't have time for all of them this morning, but that's one practical one. There's one last thing. So there's one last uh, C word that I want you to think about as it comes to vision. We talked about the context. We talked about the content. We talked about what we're concentrating on a little bit. But that last word that we have to think about, the last word is commitment. And I'm asking you this morning to consider in your own heart and in your own mind if you would be willing to commit to being a part of this corporate vision. That when we do things, like go to town day and go to Beaverbrook Park over here and just hand stuff out, go to the commuter rail stop and be there to meet people, that if you can, that you would commit to be praying for it, and if you can, that you would commit to participating in it. I'm asking you this morning if you would commit to try to figure out what the vision is that God has for your life. What does God want you to do? Because we want Mount Hope to be the kind of place that you would figure out what it is that God wants you to do. And just as much as we're asking you to come and be a part of our corporate vision, that we as the church would fuel your vision that God has given you so that you might reach your world for Jesus Christ. As much as we can, we want this to be that kind of community. Not just come and do what we're asking you to do, but what can we help you do that God's asking you to do? And the last thing that I ask you to think about, you probably know it's coming, is right in the black holder in front of you, there's a little card. And I ask you just to pull it out. This is real soft ask, but I'm just going to ask you this this morning. There's a card that looks like this, and there's a bunch of them in there. In order to carry out the vision that we have, It costs money. It just does. We're not about raising money. We don't love fundraising money, but it just costs money. When we renovated this place, we took out about $111,000 in debt to get this place renovated and going last September. And I'll just give it to you real shortly. I'm believing God and I'm praying that by the time we stand here next June, that debt will be gone. If we are going to do what God's asking us to do, and move forward in reaching our community, having that debt gone will be a huge boost in helping us to do what God is calling us to do. And you might say to me, you know, I think you're kind of crazy that we're going to get rid of $111,000 worth of debt in 12 months. But I feel like I'm kind of like the disciples handing five loaves of bread and two fish to Jesus. And believing that if we give it to him and allow him to do the work that he can do, that he'll take care of it. Here's what I know. We opened up this, this facility on September 13th, 2015, just like nine or ten months ago. We didn't start fundraising for this project. Hang with me for one second because this is such a great testimony for what God has done. We didn't start fundraising for this project until January of 2015, nine months before we opened. There's a church close to us that renovated a facility almost the exact scope of work and the exact size building two years ago. To do all the work that we did and all the work that they did, they spent close to a million dollars. So let me give just a rough number. Let's say that here in this space we spent 700000 I think that's a very conservative number. Let's say that it cost $700,000 to do the renovation that we did. If you've never saw this building before, we replaced everything 
And you may say, like, well, what, is there anything left? No, we replaced everything. All the systems, the roof is left. That's about it. We didn't start fundraising for that $700,000 project, and that's a conservative number, until January of 2015. And through people giving, through people donating their hours and time and energy and effort, through people donating materials, God provided a little over or almost $600,000 in about nine months. There was one fundraiser we did at the Weston and Waltham last March where God provided almost $50,000 in one night. Some of you were there. There was a members meeting last July where God provided $65,000 from about 70 people in about 10 minutes. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And you know, a pastor came to us, a pastor came to us, and, and he brought another younger pastor, and they were planning a church in Lynn. This was a couple months ago. And he came to me, and he's like, tell him how, what, what happened with the Belmont thing. And I told him the whole story of everything that God had done and how amazing it was. And they, they said to me, okay, now how did you do it? And I had to say, like, I don't know. I don't know. And like, well, what documents do you have? I said, I have no documents. There's no documents. There's no document of a membership meeting of 70 people where God just provides $65,000 on the spot. Like, there's, I don't no plan for that. I have no, like, two-year plan and goal. It just, God just did it. And so we're sitting in this building today where about, in about nine months, God provided close to $600,000, and I believe that God, through us, can do the rest. I just do. And so this is not a hard sell. I'm not going to ask you to come and lay these at the front of the room today, but what I am going to ask you to do is just ask you humbly if you would take this with you and consider over the next 12 months doing something to help put us in a place where we can get rid of that debt and do the things that God is asking us to do. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close this morning. I appreciate you hanging with me, with me today. I know that this is a little bit different than what we normally do on a Sunday morning, but I think it's so important for us to come together and talk about the mission and the vision that God has for us. It's important for us to know why we're here, why we gather. And as we close this service this morning, I want to encourage you to take the few moments that we have and ask God what it is that he has for you in your life. God just didn't give you a vision. God just doesn't give us a vision corporately. He gives each and every one of us a vision individually. God has something that he wants you to do that no one else can do because you know people no one else knows and you work in a place that no one else works and you're surrounded by neighbors that no one else has and God has something for you to do in that situation. And so I'd ask for you to take a few moments this morning as we close in prayer and ask God what it is that he would want you to do. And you may look at yourself and you may say, there is no possible way I could do what God's calling me to do, but that's exactly where God wants you. Trust him. Take what you have and give it to him and let him do the rest. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, I thank you for all you've done, even as we sit in this room and see all that you've done. God, how you've brought people to this place, how you've moved and how you've worked. God, we thank you. And God, we thank you for those of us who follow Jesus that we have come to know, that we have come to know 
that there is great renewal and great restoration and great fulfillment and a relationship through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would help us to have the courage and to have the boldness and to have the wisdom to go and to share your love with a world that so desperately needs it. God, help us to do it in a way where people are drawn towards Christ and not pushed away from him. Help us to do it in a way where the light of Jesus Christ shines brighter and not dimmer. And God, I pray for each and every person in this room. Oh God, would you move and would you show them the vision that you have for their life? Would your Holy Spirit speak to each and every one of us right now? And God, I pray that in the coming days, we will hear many more stories like Ron's story of people who came to know you and whose life were changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together as we close this morning.